have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Fanalist.pod. Chandran Chandran here with you, joined by Yash Yoshi and Rohan Niranjan on yet another NBA podcast. I think that that's routine that I say that because... You know, when you hear Yash's name, it's, it's, it's an NBA podcast. Like we've been doing these NFL podcasts a little too much, Rohan and I. And maybe my mind's on the NFL right now with that playoff race coming to a close. But we are in the new year now. It's the first NBA podcast. And I guess since last time we spoke, DeMar DeRozan hit a buzzer beater in two different years. Which is pretty crazy, but same season. So the Bulls are the number one. Uh, seed in the Eastern Conference, as they rightfully should be. Uh, we did speak about this previously in podcasts. And even if they have, you know, just a one game lead or two game lead right now on the Nets, it's really not, not that close because they have the tiebreaker as well. So Bulls number one seed, seven game win streak right now, which I believe is the best in the NBA. So they are the hottest team in the league as well. What do you guys think about DeMar DeRozan though? I think it's time to start putting him in the MVP conversation it's had? Yeah, I mean, like, when DeMar DeRozan signed with the Bulls in the offseason, like, I don't think anybody, even Bulls fans, saw this version of DeMar DeRozan coming in. He's shooting one of the best three-point percentages of his career at 37% this year, and in his last five games, he's shooting 71% from three. So DeMar DeRozan has been absolutely prolific for the Bulls, along with Zach Levine, that kind of two... um two hard scoring combo for the Bulls is leading them to that number one seed even above the Brooklyn Nets are they above or are they tied right they're they're one game above the Brooklyn Nets which is which is crazy to think that in 30 40 games into the season that the Bulls are the number one seed with one of the most underrated signings of the offseason so I think DeMar DeRozan if he can continue this for maybe another 10 15 games or so he will absolutely be in the thick of that MVP race he's already there but he still does need to continue what he's been doing for a little bit longer to fully establish himself yeah it's crazy because uh when DeMar first signed with the Bulls you know I think a lot of people were sleeping on his signing, me, myself included, you know, I thought that it was a good signing, but it wasn't going to be anything which completely changed the team. Obviously, they got more pieces like Lonzo Ball, Caruso, you know, they got Vucevic last year too. Um, So that their team has really come together. But like Yash said, DeRozan's just been playing at an unbelievable level the last, you know, seven games. And what's crazy is that they haven't even had all four, uh, all five of their starters through those seven games. I think Lonzo has missed four of the last seven. Um, So it's pretty crazy that he's doing this mostly on his own. Obviously, he's shooting 20, averaging 28 points, six assists, and four rebounds per game as of now. Um, and the Bulls are 11 6 in clutch situations uh, during the season. But it's just crazy, you know, the back to back buzzer beaters for DeMar, because I think he was shooting like 35% or something in the clutch, which is including the playoffs. So he wasn't considered to be a very clutch shooter like down the stretch. Um, but it's just crazy. He did this both in back to back games, and now they've, they're going on this hot streak. And I think that it's safe to say that probably. The best team in the league right now um you know maybe the warriors yeah i think they've kind of been like if you if you've been watching the warriors play you know that they haven't been dominating the way they were in the first couple weeks of the season um so i think the bulls are the hottest team right now and uh kobe white has emerged to with lonzo ball you know in COVID protocols he's been playing an integral part of their team but it's hard it's time to start putting demar in mvp conversations for real because i think that this last week and a half has shown that he can lead a team uh even though he's an underrated player as of now. 
No, most certainly. And I think like back in, um, I think it was like the off season, basically when we were doing these podcasts, like I think me and Rohan were the main ones kind of advocating for who would the Lakers sign. And I was like pitching to Mark Rosen because I, I genuinely do believe, yes, I know there is a Kevin Durant that exists, but I genuinely do believe that DeMar DeRozan is the best mid-range shooter in the NBA because he's probably not like, you know, your most flashy guy out there, but at the end of the day, like he, he's so efficient. He's just so efficient. Um, the thing about the fourth quarter that's crazy about DeMar DeRozan is that he leads the NBA in fourth quarter points this year. And he's shooting 53, 54, 88 in the fourth quarter. And what's absurd is that in the clutch down the stretch, he's shooting 56, 196. So it is just absurd to see what he's doing. And yes, he is literally winning games for the Bulls, therefore making him the most valuable player. But but I do have to play devil's advocate a little bit over here because there is a Zach Levine that exists on this team as well. And when you have another guy or your running mate averaging 26 points, five rebounds and four assists this season, it's a little bit tough to then be like, okay, is DeMar really the MVP because he has a guy that's averaging 26 alongside of him? And I get that, but I think that we do need to start talking about DeMar DeRozan as like that guy or that player because come playoff time, if I want any of these guys on the Bulls out there, it's going to be DeMar and not just because he might be this team's most efficient scorer, but he's also that leadership role that this team never had before. So they really have a sense of direction right now. And I like where this team's going. See, the thing with that, um, you know, Sean, that's a good point that you made that, you know, people are hesitant to put DeMar in the MVP, MVP conversation because of his running mate, Zach Levine. And that kind of reminds me of the Warriors back in, like, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, when Kevin Durant was on the team. People were really hesitant to say that, you know, either KD or Steph were, were the MVPs of the league because they were just both so dominant. And I think that's kind of unfair because, you know, it's not – you know, the De- DeMar's fault that he signed there. Not, it's not Levine's fault that DeMar decided to come play with him. They're both phenomenal players right now, and they should be rewarded because of that. But I think that, you know, the media, I think just like the people who vote on the MVP in general, like uh, all the media members are just kind of confused on how to vote for the MVP when it comes to the Bulls because they've both been so dominant. But I think it's unfair to say that they sh- that DeMar shouldn't be the MVP just because he's playing with, uh, alongside Zach Levine, who has also been playing phenomenal this year, because you got to give credit where credit's due. So I just hate when people, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, but I just hate, I just hated hearing that when I was a Warriors fan, you know, back then too, because they're both playing phenomenal. Why, so why can't they both be in the MVP race? I, I fully agree with what Rohan just said, and it, it did remind me of like Steph and Katie back uh, back a few years ago. But something I do want to touch upon is what like Sean was talking about when we had Lakers offseason talks a few months ago. And the reason I didn't want DeMar DeRozan to sign with the Lakers was because he didn't fill in that three-point shooting role that the Lakers really needed. And they still do. You can see that Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron, like, well, LeBron's been actually great, and we'll get to that in just a second, but they don't have that three-point shooting, and DeMar DeRozan, up till before this year, was never a good three-point shooter. His highest three-point percentage was 33, and that's like barely breaking even. He almost consistently shot under 30 in the 25-30 range, and this season, he's actually taken it to a whole new level, and he's shooting 37% from three, and I think that's where a lot of the DeMar MVP um, kind of talks come in because he's 
doing the same thing that he does for mid-range that he did in Toronto, that he did in San Antonio, and now he's bringing that to Chicago. But along with Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, the spacing on the floor allows him maybe just a little bit more to shoot comfortably those three-pointers that he's not the best at. But if you can consistently shoot 37% for the entire year and with DeMar DeRozan's mid-range skill set, that is so so a complete offensive package that I think that if he can continue to do this, even with Zach Levine on the team, he should absolutely be an MVP conversation. hundred percent. Of course, when you also have Nikola Vucevic, like in the paint, getting your rebounds if need be, and then kicking it back out to any of these guys. Um, I totally, totally do agree with that, but I'm just putting DeMar's season in perspective with guys like, you know, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, and, especially Steph Curry, because don't get me wrong. I 100% am advocating for DeMar to be in this MVP conversation, but I believe that look at the Warriors right now, right? Without Klay Thompson, and even if Klay Thompson comes back, you have to look at the numbers, and the numbers speak for themselves. You see what Steph's doing, you see what Steph's averaging, and just how how much he's also playing. And then if you compare that to the next closest guy, it's not that close, whereas... Damar and Levine are basically averaging the same amount of points, rebounds, and assists. They're literally in about the 26 to 28 range for points, five and four for rebounds and assists. So at the end of the day, the stats show for it. But yes, I do believe that Damar in the clutch, he's basically the most clutch player right now in the NBA. There's no doubt about that. So I think solely for that reason, he should be in the MVP conversation. That's what's going to lift him above uh, all else in terms of his teammates um, and stuff like that. But getting to the Nets now, Kyrie Irving has a return date Wednesday against the Pacers. That's what it's looking like. And quite frankly, you know, James Harden was previously asked, how did Kyrie look? And he said, he looked like Kyrie elite, you know, and so be it. That, that is who Kyrie Irving is. He's coming off the 50, 40, 90 season, of course, but, before we get into Kyrie, I do want to talk a little bit about James Harden, who has averaged 35 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds over the last four games. And before Yash just jump in here and completely destroy this argument with him averaging 13 free throws a game, <laughs> I just want to say at the end of the day, he's putting up those points and he's looking like the James Harden that he was. And let's let's not let's not, you know change the narrative here. James Harden in Houston was getting free throws too. It's not a different James Harden. It's just that he's getting the points. He's putting up triple doubles like he was before, kind of nearing Russell Westbrook numbers this season. But the Nets kind of winning games, kind of not. I mean, it's it's a little bit up and down season for them, but I think Kyrie's definitely going to give them more clarity and see where James Harden fits into this offense now with Kyrie Irving back. It's funny to refer to the second best team in the East having an up and down season. That just shows you how damn good the Nets are and how high the expectations for a team that has KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving as they should. But something about James Harden is, I I know I'm not going to rip on his free throws again because I usually do that always. And James Harden, he started the season slow because of all the new free throw rules. And I think that as time has progressed, he's kind of figured out the new way the refs are kind of refing the game. And now he's back to his old ways of finding a way to get the foul, get to the free throw line and get a majority or not a majority, but a good chunk of his points from there. But all that being said, he's still averaging 
only 41% from field goal percentage and only 33 from three-point percentage. And those are significantly lower numbers than we've seen James Harden from the Houston Rockets produce. And that's still a little bit worrisome to me if I'm a Nets fan or just, you know, a James Harden fan in general, because those numbers, they have to increase. Kyrie Irving obviously will help by spacing the floor, getting defensive attention. KD is going to be KD for the rest of the year. But if the Nets want to compete at the highest level with the Warriors, with the Suns, the Bulls, or the Bucks or whoever it may be, they need James Harden to come out and really show that the free throw line isn't the only way that he's going to be able to majorly impact the game, but he still can hit those clutch shots, those clutch threes, the step backs that we haven't seen as much of this year. And I I do believe that he'll get back to that because James Harden is an all-time great, but as of right now, I just just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem right now for the Nets is their slow start in the first quarter um the starts for the games you know are a big issue for them as of now they've had first quarter deficits of at least eight points in four of the last five games and only three teams have been worse in the first six minutes of the opening period this season so I'm hoping that you know Kyrie Irving kind of brings that out I don't know why they're having these types of slow starts whether it's just you know Kevin Durant is just fatigued from playing a lot of minutes you know um as you know both him and Harden were returning back from COVID protocol so that could have been something which played a factor. I do think Harden has improved his game, like Josh said, uh, a little bit because he's adjusted to the new rules. You know, the first couple of weeks of the season, we were talking about how, you know, is this the end for James Harden? Is he going to fall off because of these new rules? But he's kind of found a way to um, elevate his game again. And, you know, shout out to him. He's a phenomenal player for, you know, the last five to 10 years. So we got to give credit where credit's due. He wasn't just going to fall off a cliff like that. Um, though, you know, he might be a foul merchant, whatever you want to call him. It's just how he plays the game, and like I don't like it either. But he's you know putting up the points to do that. Um, right now, I think that the Nets are in a pretty good spot because they're tenth in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating, and they're adding Kyrie um, on Wednesday. So I'm very excited to see Kyrie Irving because I think he's going to bring this team to a whole new level. We already know what he can do. Um, I've said this before on the podcast. He's one of the most electrifying players in the league. One of the most fun players in the league to watch. You know, just the way he plays is just so beautiful to the game of basketball. Um, and I think he's just going to bring that team to a whole new level, both offensively and with his playmaking abilities. Uh, last season, KD, Kyrie, and James Harden posted an offensive rating of 119.6 total in the, both the regular season and the playoffs. And in the playoffs, they had a, a rating of 135.4, which is absolutely absurd. So we know what this team can do. We know the firepower that, that they have. It's just really, can they put it all together? And with Kyrie coming off of, um, you know, not being playing because of his uh, vaccination status, can he kind of gel back with this team and find footing going into the all-star break? Obviously he's going to be playing only road games, but I think he's going to have impact. I don't know about you guys, but I'm watching the game on Wednesday. I think it's going to be crazy. Definitely. I think that, you know, the way that you're talking about Kyrie Irving and the Nets right now, I mean, it almost seems like Yash is never going to have a chance later on this podcast to say that they will return back down to earth. I mean, they, they look amazing, (laughs) but, um, a team that I feel we can't ever say is going to return back down to earth just yet as the reigning champs. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks are quietly making noise. We really haven't been talking about them a whole lot uh, this season, but they have a six game win streak, which is second best behind, of course, the number one seed Chicago Bulls. Um, They have played a couple more games than the Nets because the Nets did have uh, cancellations due to COVID. So they are the third seed, but they have a very, very good chance to, you know, kind of, jump up take the second seed possibly move up to the first seed if they you know dare to beat the bulls down the stretch in the season but 
Giannis has looked great over the last 10 games, 29.5 points, 11.1 rebounds and six assists. And he's shooting 55.9% from the field, which is um, just absolutely ridiculous. And his plus minus is the best part about this. He's a plus 55. You know, this, this team is absolutely dominating uh, their opponents, um, you know, night in, night out. They're seven and three in their last 10 games as well. So they have the record to show for it, but, you know, Milwaukee, it's it's looking a little bit gutsy because, you know, you got like the Miami Heat and the Cleveland Cavaliers kind of like weirdly on, I think, all of these teams' tails right now. But with the Nets getting Kyrie back and the Bulls being the team that they are, I think now is the time for Milwaukee to really step things up a notch and they got to start winning games and winning these huge matchups. They got to start beating the Heat. They got to start beating the Cavs the Nets, the Bulls really does not sound like a tall task because for God's sakes, these guys are the reigning champs. They have what it takes to beat these teams, but every game kind of from here on out really matters for seeding purposes for Milwaukee down the stretch. And I just think that they are going to be facing an uphill battle um, down the stretch over here because I just keep getting back at who do they have other than Drew Holiday Chris Middleton and Giannis. And of course, with all these COVID protocols now being an issue, I just want to know, should Milwaukee go out there and trade for someone? And I don't know who. I honestly don't have an answer for you there because the trade market is so scarce that it's kind of like, okay, who is available first of all? And does Milwaukee even have the assets that they want to make a move? Really, we've not been hearing their name at all in trade buzz because it's kind of like they don't need someone. But you shouldn't not want someone to make your team better. Just just to say one more thing about Sham or what Sham said about the Bucks and the uphill battle that they're going to face the rest of the season. They actually have the hardest strength of schedule remaining of any NBA team in the league. The, the cumulative strength of schedule for the Bucks is 542, and that is the highest of, like I just said, any other NBA team in the league. So they do have... Uh, uphill battle to face they're going to play the Warriors they're going to play the Nets they're going to play the Suns Jazz Bulls Heat so all of the other contending teams in the league they do have a significant amount of games left with them so at this point in time they did have a lot of injuries in the beginning so it's good that they're going to be facing these better teams with their full roster I mean fingers crossed that no more COVID um COVID protocol or injuries happen to them but up till this point in time they're still shooting from three-point percentage, the fourth best in the league, even though Giannis isn't that great of a three-point shooter. So that just shows, like Jan, um, like Sean was talking about, his plus-minus, which is his direct impact on the court. The attention that he draws in the paint, which allows Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Pat Connington, um, Dante DiVincenzo to shoot the ball. And they don't, they're missing one of the biggest pieces they had last year in their championship run, Brooke Lopez. And I think that he's actually out for a significant um, amount of time, so that's still going to hurt them. But... I don't know if they should go out on the trade market and trade for someone just because they have a formula that won them last year. They have a formula that won them a championship. And yes, you can argue the Nets were injured and they played an easier team in the finals and whatever you want to say. But the fact of the matter is that they are NBA champions. They're the reigning champions. And that as long as Giannis can do Giannis things, which he has been, and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can be that great supporting cast that they were last year. And Drew Holiday has been absolutely off the charts recently. They they can compete with the best teams in the league. I know the Bucks, with all their star power, seem like a little overwhelming 
or not the Bucks, the Nets with all their star power seem a little overwhelming. But regardless, I, I do think the Bucks, even without any trades being made, are still a serious contender. And I don't think any team in the league is going to take them um, easily. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bucks have been rolling for sure right now. They've won six in a row. And in those six games, they've scored 122 points per 100 possessions, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and like uh, Yash said, Drew Holiday in the last 10 games has been averaging 24 points and is shooting 66% from the paint and 62% from mid-range in the last eight games. So he's been playing great. I think that, you know, if you're Giannis, you can't ask for much more from your, you know, the guy you traded, what was it, three first-round picks last season uh, in order to acquire him. And he was, you know, maybe the missing piece of the championship puzzle, and they ended up winning it because of that. Um, but, you know, though Brook Lopez is out, I think both Bobby Portis and DeMarcus Cousins have been pretty good. As they've had a, I think DeMarcus has, has had a plus 41 in 36 minutes that he's played. So, you know, his his net rating overall has been pretty good and he's doing a good job filling in for Brooke Lopez. And one more thing to note is that the Bucks right now, though uh, they, they've played, I think they played three more games than the uh, Bulls and the Nets. They're in third place, but they have a better point dif- differential than both of those other two teams in the East. So you could argue that they're probably playing the best basketball in the league right now, especially in the East. But to answer Sham's question about whether they should go out and trade for someone in the trade market, I know the trade deadline is a while away. I really don't think at this point that they need to because I don't know if they have the assets that they want to give up in order to acquire someone in trade. One person who comes to mind is the guy they just got back on Christmas, Dante DiVincenzo. So he's been kind of struggling from the field lately, but I think that he was a missing piece for the Bucks last year during the playoff run, and he would have eased a lot of the problems that they had down the stretch. Though he's been struggling... Uh, since coming back from his return during Christmas, I think he's going to pick it up eventually, but I don't know if the Bucks want to, you know, deal him to another team because he has been playing pretty phenomenal, phenomenally ever since the bubble, honestly. And uh, I think you can trust him to bring it back and, you know, add some more depth for your team down the stretch. But I don't know if they need to trade for anyone at this point. I don't see a trade target for them, which would really elevate them. Um, because I think they would have to give up too much, and I don't think you should ruin it. If it's if it's not uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? So you won a championship last year, so I guess you just trust it until otherwise. Giannis is playing playing phenomenal, so there's no re- really re- no reason for them to do it at this point. No, exactly. I mean that that's exactly what I was kind of saying in terms of like you know they don't need to go and get out and get get a guy, but if they want to, that's that's a whole different uh, topic, of course. Um, following the Bucks, of course, you know, you got the Miami Heat, the Cleveland Cavaliers, but then you have this little weird drop off and you have the Sixers at that sixth seed. I think that they should start rising sooner than later. Um, and the reason that I say that is because even though the trade line is just so far away, it's that close as well. We're about a month um, away from the trade deadline. And that means that a move including Ben Simmons should become more and more imminent. And I know that sounds very satirical to say because it's been so damn long that we've been stuck in almost this like matrix dimension kind of of where like what is going on with Ben Simmons just sounds like a whole different timeline and it's tough to put things into perspective on that front. But I genuinely do believe that the Sixers know what they have and they know that they have an asset that's not going to be playing for them this season. Basically, I mean, if Ben Simmons is still a sixer past the trade deadline, that's a different conversation we can have. And I'm sure it's a different conversation they're going to have internally as well, saying that, you know, 
you're with us now. You're stuck with us. You know, we're a playoff team. You want to come and play with us? You can do that. But um, Joel Embiid over his last 10 games, averaging 29.6 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. He's also shooting around 50% from the field, looking great. Um, kind of like that whole MVP conversation once again um, for those Sixer fans out there. But I generally do believe that the Sixers should start coming up, building on some more wins. They're on a three-game win streak, but they are five and five in their last 10. But with this whole Ben Simmons drama on the side, the reason that I had to say Embiid's numbers are because, look, you have your success in front of you. You have your guy in front of you. Embiid is the heart and soul of this team. And he is a guy that can match up against, you know, the Kevin Durant's, the Giannis. Like, keep in mind, the, the Sixers just beat the Nets, guys, just a couple days ago. So they have what it takes to build around and beat. So with that being said, you have to trade Simmons away for whatever need be. Maybe it's not going to be a fair trade, but it's going to be what the best trade is for the team. And you're going to build around and beat, get him shooters, get him whatever you need, because Seth, Seth Curry's look great. Tyrese Maxey's look great as well. So like this team has the key players and the key roles. So it's just a matter of going out there and keep getting fillers or keep getting great rotational guys to keep up with these contending teams. Yeah, even without Ben Simmons, the 76ers are playing such good brand of basketball. And it just, it really goes to show that they don't need Ben Simmons. And I would be absolutely shocked if he's on the roster come past the trade deadline. And if he is, like Sean said, we're going to have a very different conversation. I still don't think he's going to come play for them. It would just be very dumb of them to have that much of... that type of an asset on the roster that's just going to do nothing for them come playoff time. Sure, they might say they just want to punt this season, get better offers for Ben Simmons in the offseason, but that kind of cycle has gone on for almost eight to twelve, uh, eight to nine months now, and it's time that they seriously consider what is out there for Ben Simmons in the next month or so, and they deal him for quite literally anything that can help and support Joel Embiid because they don't need to trade Ben Simmons for a superstar because they have that already on the team. They need a surrounding pieces that can help Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris and Matisse Thybul, you know, fill in the gaps in their play. Obviously, they have very solid rotational pieces, like I just said, and they have very good offensive, defensive capabilities, a great coach. But any team that has Ben Simmons just on the bench, they can trade that away and get some good pieces that can really solidify the depth of the 76ers to match up with the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Because when you compare a team like the 76ers to the Nets, they're very drastically different. The 76ers have a very deep roster, especially after you trade Ben Simmons, versus the Nets who would be very top-loaded with three superstars and just kind of a bunch of role players beyond that. So if they are able to trade Ben Simmons for that, you know, haul the very solid to good role players. I would be very interested to see how that deep 76ers roster matches up with some of the top loaded bucks or nets, or maybe even the bulls, if you want to call them that. Yeah, I think we're all just ready to move past the Ben Simmons trade. I think it'll be intriguing to see what Philly ends up getting back for them. And I think if they end up doing a trade with the Timberwolves or the Pacers, they can get a good haul of young players, um, you know, similar to what Yash was saying. But right now, I think both Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are balling right now. I think Embiid is doing his thing. You know, he's a phenomenal player, we know. But I think Maxey has really evolved his game to a new level this year. Uh, I think he ranks sixth in the league in assist and turnover ratio right now, um, which is one of the best for young guards. And the Sixers have committed only 16 total turnovers over the last two games. 
And um, they're outscoring opponents actually by 17 in when Embiid's not on the floor. So this goes to what you guys were both saying. Like the Sixers are a deep team, you know, with or without Embiid. Embiid is still a phenomenal player, but they are still doing very well without him on the floor and they can keep doing it with more assets. You know, instead of having a dead weight of Ben Simmons on the bench or not even on the bench, but just, you know, on the sideline, uh, you can get those young players who will end up being making the team even deeper. And I don't want to sleep on this team coming into the playoffs because if they make a trade and get a couple of, you know, more pieces, role players or not, they'll still be helpful for this team. Um, And I wouldn't want to play them in the the playoffs. I think they're going to be a dark horse, but they have a pretty cakewalk schedule to start 2022. So I I expect them to start off pretty fast in the month of January for the most part. Um, But do you guys know that Ben Simmons is being fined $10 million right now? He's his fines have racked up to over 10 million. I think it's just kind of crazy. You got to put that in perspective. Like this dude is rich enough to be able to, you know, be fined 10 million um, in this games that he's not, not being played. And I don't know when it's going to stop. I mean, no matter how rich he is, $10 million is 10 million. That's like, <laughs> I don't no, care what type of beef you have. Like, dude, imagine giving up a $10 million bag. That's absolutely crazy to me. It's ridiculous. I don't I don't even know what to say, but I mean, I'm hoping that all that stuff comes to a close sooner than later. Um, but, you know, we've been talking about like so much optimism around these teams. We're like, Oh, Hey, you know, the bucks, they'll, they'll get things done. Hopefully, you know, the nets, they should, they're getting Kyrie back, the bulls, the Sixers now, but we have to have a little bit of pessimism here, guys. And I'm going to throw out the Celtics. I think that they're the name team that I'm looking at. They're at the ninth seed. They're 18 and 19 record. They're five and five in their last 10. Sure. They've won two straight, but that is not very promising because they did lose to the Timberwolves who were without their five starters, all five starters. So the Celtics lost to them. They lost to the Clippers that were without Paul George and Reggie Jackson. And in both of those games, Jalen Brown shot 35% and three of 21 from three in the those two games so that is very very ugly they somehow pulled out a win against the suns and i'm really going to take that more as a hiccup game for the suns you know they probably were just not clicking that night Celtics got lucky um but last night you know we did see jalen brown had a career night 50 points 11 rebounds four assists shot 19 of 29 from the field and had five threes he is the seventh celtic ever with a 50 point game to note, but it was in an overtime win against the Orlando Magic. Again, not very. Wait, wait, very... did you just say he's the seventh Celtic ever? Yeah, that's that's, that's what I got from Stat News. That seems crazy. Seventh like considering how good game. the Celtics franchise has been. Well, maybe we had a whole lot of forty-point games, <laughs> but <laughs> just not that many fifty-point games, apparently. Uh, but yes, they have been without uh, Jason Tatum um, for the you know, for last couple games for sure. And Jalen Brown, you know, I think that I'm going to kind of kick it off the roll over here because we've been talking a lot about, hey, we should probably split up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because these two guys seem like such isolation players and one seems to, you know, tend to do really, really good or really, really bad without the other. And we've seen that with Jalen Brown in this last four-game split where they have gone two and two. Um, again, not very promising, and I'm I'm really not liking the Celtics' schedule ahead of them. You know, given the fact they just went to overtime against the Magic, you got the Spurs, then the Knicks in a back-to-back, the Pacers in a back-to-back, then you have the Sixers, the Bulls, the Pelicans, the Hornets, Blazers, Wizards. I mean, the list continues to kind of go on. They have a fair share of decent 
Western Conference teams, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'll take a West team over an East team any day, um, just given the fact that like how the conferences are laying out. Obviously, this season, the West is significantly worse than the East in terms of the drop-off, but that's my two-piece on the Celtics for the most part. I really don't know where they're going from here. They are the ninth seed. Are they better than the Wizards? Are they better than the Hornets? Right now, no. And the Raptors are kind of on their tail. The Knicks are on their tail. The Knicks win those back-to-back. They're going to start jumping up the ranks. Hawks are there too. So I really don't know. There's a serious possibility that Boston could miss the playoffs. So Something I just want to add to what Sean said is that Philly, Washington, and Boston, three of them have the three of the top five easiest strength of schedules remaining. So it may be a dogfight coming down to the end with Boston if they want to make a playoff push, but the teams right around them, including Washington and Philly, have a strength of schedule just around that. So they're going to have to really step up their game if they want to, you know, move up in those standings. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of call this in the, coming into the season. Uh, I knew that the Celtics would be pretty average for the most part. I, you know, I thought that they would make the playoffs for sure, but now it's kind of like, Looking like that might even be in jeopardy. I think the best way to compare, come, uh, you know, make an analogy here is that they're just a very Jekyll and Hyde team. You know, you don't know which side of the Celtics you're going to get night to night. And I think that really just accounts for the lack of identity they have in their team, essentially. Um, like we were saying, both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, both very similar players. Uh, and they're both very talented for the most part. I just don't know at this point, like, which one you can keep and which one you leave, because I think they have to make that decision. The decision, the, decision at some point um because though it might be very hard for people to you know let go of one of them because they've just been such great players uh, for this organization i think you know brad stevens has got to make that decision going forward because it, in the long run i don't know if it's going to be beneficial for this team you know i think maybe the experiments has gone on too long they made the playoffs a couple of times they made a couple of deep runs but maybe it's just time to go in a different direction because they're both young stars and you can get a lot of talent for them which might fit your team better you know you might need pieces we just complement your team more but um just to say one thing about them i just to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt marcus smart jalen brown jason tatum al horford and rob williams their usual starting lineup has played only 87 total minutes together since Thanksgiving. So it kind of shows how decimated the Celtics have been, you know, because of injuries, because of COVID protocols. I still don't think that they're a very good team, but that's just one thing to look at down the stretch because their main starting lineup has only played 87 minutes since Thanksgiving, which is crazy. No, definitely. But I think like, you know, the silver lining and all this is how Yash kind of pointed out that, hey, you know, even though these other teams also have an easy schedule, you know, you guys got it too. So you can't, you know, really mess this up um, down the stretch. So, you know, if Boston wants to get things together, I mean, obviously it's, it's now or never. Um, and just kind of going to see how stuff shapes out over there in the Eastern Conference. But without further ado, it is our favorite part to talk about the Golden State Warriors leading the NBA um, with the best record in the league. And of course, beating the Suns on Christmas Day most recently gave them just a little bit more um, you know, kind of pushing them over the top of the Suns as the number one seed in the Western Conference and the best team in the NBA. Golden State, they're getting they're getting Clay Thompson back. I feel like we kind of spoke about this um, two weeks ago on our last podcast, and um, I was kind of talking about how it would be very very bittersweet for him to come back against the Cavs, given the history that he has against them and just those finals runs. 
that's I think that's going to be really, really nice and really, really cool if he does come back against Cleveland and, of course, sooner than later. Um, but obviously what we've been hearing is that once Clay comes back, like that, that's that. Like he's going to be in the starting lineup. He's going to be starting minutes. That's what he wanted, and that's what Steve Kerr owes to him, I believe. You know, kind of just how he sounded. He said, you know what, he's deserved this. He gets it. Like he's going to – he's not going to be on limit, minutes restriction um, in any kind of way. So that's going to be amazing to watch. I'm very, very curious to see what type of identity this team has with Clay Thompson. I know that sounds very, very weird. Don't get me wrong. This team is literally built around, you know, the backcourt for the most part. And of course, Draymond just doing his thing um, on both ends of the floor, but it's just going to be very bittersweet and awesome to see number 11 out there alongside number 30, because it's been so damn long, but I'm very curious also to see, what type of role Jordan Poole will take on. And um, even though he is starting caliber talent, you know, this team wouldn't be here without him, quite frankly, just on what he's done. But I would love to see Jordan Poole maybe come off the bench. Granted that, you know, Clay Thompson does come back as even just half the player that he is, because that is still better than Jordan Poole right now, I believe, simply because of his Clay Thompson's veteran presence and just the chemistry that he has. Because if we know anything about Golden State, it's chemistry. Because chemistry gets them that far and they don't really need the most flashy players, but they just know how to draft right and get get the ball rolling for the most part. Um, so, yeah, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, and I guess that's kind of like what I have to say about Golden State coming up in a huge, huge Sunday in Golden State, possibly. Yeah, I think this Sunday, I mean, assuming Clay does come back on Sunday, might be one of the biggest games in, like, Warriors history because it's just been so damn long since we've seen clay thompson on the court and i think me included some of us actually did forget how good clay thompson is because it's just like naturally it's been two and a half years since we've seen him play and now that he's you know right on the cusp of returning he's obviously not going to be fully him his old self until you know a few weeks months pass by but just seeing him on the court with steph draymond wiggins jordan Poole, and just like the rest of the roster is going to be so so interesting and it's going to be you know reminiscence of the old warrior dynasty days i think that if clay can even come back as like 80 percent of his old self honestly it's over for the rest of the league and this is not even me coming from like my warriors fandom but just like me being realistic because the warriors are already the best team in the league and then you add a you know quote unquote 77th best player of all time to the roster who can spread the floor, who can defend at a high level, or at least he could defend at a high level. We'll have to see where his like lateral quickness is still after these two major injuries. But it just, it's really, it shows that the Warriors roster is going to be so fully complete. It's going to be so deep that you could really have so many different combinations of players on the floor. And I think Steve Kerr has been playing around, toying with those combinations even before Clay's coming back. And last game, they had Jordan Poole come off the bench, even though he started every single game before that, just to prep him for when Clay does come back because he will be coming off the bench. And Jordan Poole, it kind of reminds me of Jordan Clarkson, not because the names are Jordan, but just because they have that score first mentality. They're going to be really good sixth men off the bench on one of the best teams in the league. So if... I'm not even going to say if, but like when Clay comes back, I'm just warning to the rest of the league. This is going to be the most dangerous team. I meant Jordan Clarkson and Jordan Poole's have, you know, Michael Jordan. So I might as well just throw in his name too, right? <laughs> okay. That's a, that's, that's some disrespect. <laughs> uh, MJ never came off the bench. 
Yeah, but hey, scoring, right? It's all about scoring. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just gonna be really on honestly awesome to see both Steph, Clay, and Jay just on the same court again together. Like like you guys said, it's just been so damn long since we've seen it. Um, so excited for that. Hopefully it's this weekend. Maybe I mean I don't know if we're gonna do another pod before then, but you know, maybe this, this might be the last pod before Clay Thompson's return. So shout out to Clay Thompson. I think he's 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 gonna come back. I like you like Yash said, if he comes back 80% of himself and at least 75% of, of himself defensively, it's wraps with the league. Like Andrew Wiggins has already said it. He said that once Clay Thompson's been back, put the league on notice, like the Warriors are gonna go to a whole different level than they already are. Um, just to talk about the team a little bit, I think that the win they had against the Jazz, what was it, two days ago, was probably one of their best victories of the season, mainly because they did it without Draymond Green, who is, I'm going to say, just the best defender in the league, one of the best defenders of all time. So it wasn't exactly the number one defense versus the number one offense, which Utah is. Um, but I thought Golden State played phenomenally down the stretch after being battered down in the third quarter. Uh, Steph has looked pretty good i don't want i i think you know we were calling for mvp steph for the last couple of weeks he's kind of been on and off ever since the record so i don't know if he's gonna hopefully he picks it up this month because december was a little rough for him uh and you know new year same stuff i'm hoping so we'll see how how that goes but one thing we're talking about which i just want to mention off camera was i mean yash um we're just talking about you know is andrew wiggins an all-star this year and i was saying i think he could honestly maybe start as an all-star because of the wings in the West and how decimated they've been by, you know, either COVID or by injuries other than LeBron. Honestly, I don't know if there's a wing in the West playing better than Andrew Wiggins. He's averaging around 19 points right now, playing shooting 43% from three, which I think is his career best. And he's playing very good defense. So Steve Kerr set, told to us that Andrew Wiggins is one of the best two-way players in the league. So is Wiggins an all-star this year? That's what I want to know, because if he is, then the Warriors are on a different level, especially when Clay comes back. I mean, I think I think it like he has every single right to be because why not? I mean, it's Andrew Wiggins. Like he's been very, very good for Golden State um, this season. Um, but you know, I guess to kind of go back on what you were saying about how you know this team beat the Utah Jazz on the road without Draymond. Like I'm gonna one up you, and I'm gonna say that I think them beating the Suns on the road without Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole was a little bit more. Um, I guess you could say phenomenal per se, <laughs> not to, not to over, over hype the win by any kind of means, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. This team knows how to win and when to win. And especially when you're getting Clay Thompson back, it's just another name to add to the mix that other teams need to worry about how to guard. Cause once again, if Clay can come back and if he's averaging around like, you know, four threes, five threes a game, you know, once he gets back to being that spot up shooter that he is, he doesn't need to be dropping, you know, 30 points a game or driving the basket and doing all this other stuff. If he's just that spot up shooter that we know him to be, then this team is going to be very, very, very tough to stop um, down the stretch. And I think that, you know, it's safe to say right now, I know it's a little bit early because, you know, the Suns are there, the Jazz are kind of on the tail too. But because the Golden State Warriors already have the tiebreaker over both of those teams and you're getting Clay Thompson back. I feel like this is the time when Golden State's about to just run away with the number one seed and the best record in the NBA because you're literally this is a classic like situation where the rich get richer. It's that simple. And I think that Golden State, you know, for all those years that some fans hated Golden State, myself included, because yes, they had Kevin Durant. They went on championship after championship run. But I will gladly say as a basketball fan, this team has paid their dues and now is their time to ignite 
and come back up to the top where they should be because they have those type of players, they have the coach, they have the team. So why not? You know, what's going to stop this team? I, I, I just want to go back to what Rohan said. And I think Andrew Wiggins is absolutely an all-star this year because of like the stats he's putting up, the defense he's playing on the other end of the floor he's shooting a career high in terms of three-point percentage and it's significantly higher than the best season he had which was coincidentally last year on the Warriors so clearly the Steph Curry effect the gravity that he has is helping Wiggins get a much open cleaner looks he's playing all defensive level defense and I would not be surprised if he can pull can if he c continues to play the way he has he can absolutely get an all defense vote or two and maybe even make it to like one of those teams but all that being said, me and Rohan were talking about this before the before the podcast started today, but just thinking about the forwards and the wings in the West, there's not as many of them as we think because a lot of them are just kind of injured. Kawhi, who usually would be like the starter for the West, he's injured. LeBron obviously will get that one spot, but the other spot is just kind of wide open. Draymond could get it, but I think Andrew Wiggins is absolutely in the conversation, not only to be a significant... Uh, not not only to be an all-star but to be an all-star starter just because of the lack of wing depth in the western conference so the way he's playing and the fact that he also plays for the best team in the league who gets a lot of media attention does help his case versus playing in minnesota a team that really no one kind of cares about so those all factors included i think wiggins should absolutely be an all-star and i would be not only shocked but i would be really disappointed if he's not No, I mean, fair enough. I, I honestly have, don't have much more to say about that because I've been calling for it too. I think Wiggins should be a starter. I think he could honestly maybe start depending on where they put LeBron because, you know, like Josh said, it's, it's, the voting is based on fours, you know, and guards. So I think Wiggins is a starter this year, and he's been phenomenal and a crucial part of why the Warriors are the Warriors here. It's been a lot of reasons because the team has been deeper than it was last year. I, I, I've said that we replaced a lot of the players who had you know, negative basketball IQ uh, but a lot of athleticism for guys who have better basketball IQ and are pretty good shooters, they are they know how to find Steph. And Wiggins has improved his game, you know, to give him credit. I was calling for his contract last year. Like, I think he's still overpaid, but he's making up for that this year, and he's been a, a lot better. Um, and I think the Warriors are just going to – they're just going to keep rolling. But I think the league just needs to be – if the league already isn't on watch of the Warriors, which I'm sure that they are, with Klay Thompson, it's just going to be at another level. And I think we're going to see that these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, well, speaking of overpaid, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up because Clay Thompson made seventy-eight million career earnings until the twenty nineteen NBA Finals, and since then he's made eighty-four million and not played a single minute. But that's it. This overpaid. I think Clay Thompson, a phenomenal player, he deserves that money. Anyways, though, speaking about you know, you're talking about all stars, saying oh LeBron, you know, obviously he's going to be for sure an all star and a wing player um, up there, but. Wait, just before we move off this topic, yeah. I, I do want to ask, do we still think Andrew Wiggins is like considered to be that overpaid? Because I'm looking at the contracts and right around his range of players like Kristaps so. Porzingis, Brandon Ingram, Chris Paul, Kevin Love, for God's sakes, Gordon Hayward, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle. So I think just people around his salary range, he performs on their level, if not better. I think to a point because... You know, when he got the contract, they de he was definitely overpaid. You know, he was the number one pick and probably got the money because, you know, you know Minnesota is Minnesota. Um, but I think with the Warriors taking his contract, they were expecting a little more from the first couple seasons. And I think, you know, that first season, uh, I think 2019-2020, you know, he really didn't show out. Last year he kind of improved, but it was just more because of 
you know, playing with Steph and, you know, all of that, playing with Draymond, a more active Draymond. But I think this year he's really earning his money. So I don't know. I think, I don't know if he's, I still don't know, know if Andrew Wiggins is a max player. You know, I just, I just don't think don't, he is. But see, when, when you were talking about like how, like, you know, when he came, yeah, he was overpaid. Like, I kind of do agree with you, but I don't blame him though, because there's this weird learning curve when you join a team like Golden State, especially with playing with guys like Steph, Clay Thompson, and all this stuff. Because the only player that I feel in recent history that's adjusted to that, like starting day one, is Kevin Durant. Because they also know the type of player that Kevin Durant is, that he kind of came in there and was like, hey, like, you know, we both are the same level kind of player. In this case, you know, when you're coming, Steph is, it's Steph's team. Like, it is Steph's, like, I mean, it's always been Steph's team. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about more about, like, the way that they operate on offense. There's a little bit more of that learning curve. And I think Andrew Wiggins is finally starting to click in that, which is why we're seeing him do better this season and especially moving forward. You got to remember, though, he was he was a number one overall pick. You know, there's, there's been expe- expectations for this dude sky 100%, high ever since. 100 percent. But league, but, so. but Golden State, they're only the only time there's a learning curve is when they have those free agent signings. When you're drafted to Golden State, you learn it from day one. You're kind of brought into that system, which is why I actually have higher expectations for guys like James Wiseman when he does come back, back compared to Andrew Wiggins for him to, like, pick it up earlier and faster and less amount of games compared to Andrew Wiggins. But of course, you know. I mean, good question, Yas. Like, I do kind of agree with that, like, in terms of, like, how Andrew Wiggins is definitely going to fit in that system going forward. But moving on to the Los Angeles Lakers, I feel like they're the only other notable team right now in terms of, you know, topics to talk about, per se, because obviously we have great things to say about the Suns, the Jazz, the Grizzlies, of course, look great. John Morant is back. Um, then the Nuggets and the Clippers are kind of weirdly in the mix. And then you have the Lakers that are kind of, you know, also in the mix over there. But they're four and six in their last 10 games. And LeBron James has averaged 32 points, nine rebounds and five assists in those 10 games. But overall this season, LeBron James in his 19th NBA season, he is now averaging 28.5 points per game, which is the highest since 2010. He's shooting 52.3% from the field, which is the highest since 2018. He's shooting 37% from three, which is the highest since 2014. He is averaging around 20 shots per game, which is the highest since 2008. And he has 1.8 steals per game, which is the highest since 2012, and 1.1 blocks per game, which is the highest since 2009. Those are a lot of numbers for you guys. I'm sure it's a lot to digest. But overall, I think that we all have come to the common ground over here, which is LeBron James is playing really, really good right now. <laughs> That's all that you really need to know coming out of that. But based on the Lakers being four and six in the last 10, and this team is seventh in the West, um, you know, they've had as of an up and down season as you could have had. Um, they're sitting right at 0.500. They obviously need to get things together right now. It's now or never. Um, and I understand that Russell Westbrook has been, you know, definitely an issue per se, but I think the bigger issue that we should be talking about is Anthony Davis not being available to play. And I know that Rohan hopefully doubles down on that for me and backs me up over here because Ron's been a huge advocate for that saying like, you know, calling for Anthony Davis's name to be like, where are you? What are you doing? You know, you're not the superstar that everyone claims that you are. And I totally agree with that because this is not the same Anthony Davis that was there in the first season with the Lakers. And if you're not available, it's, it's that simple. You're just, you're not a top five, top 10, let alone top 10 player in the NBA right now. Do you guys remember before the season started when Anthony Davis said, I have nothing left to prove to anybody. And even when he has been available for the Lakers, it feels like he's like genuinely 
making that statement come true that he's just not playing with any form of intensity he's not playing with any form of drive and he got that one ring and he's like all right that that's good enough for me he's not he's not striving like the all-time greats are to get the second the third the fourth you see Giannis who won one literally a few months ago and he's already in the play um he's already in the push for his next one LeBron has four rings and now he's playing arguably I don't want to say it is but arguably some of the best basketball of his career trying to win another ring I mean I know I'm not gonna go towards Russell Westbrook slander like I usually do just because like nothing's changed he's still playing pretty bad recently he's played a like slightly better for the Lakers just because he's like making some of his shots but I was watching that game between the Grizzlies and the Lakers, considering the Grizzlies are one of the better teams in the league. I think Malik Monk had LeBron James at the top of the wing and Russell Westbrook at the corner. They had a three that they needed to tie or win the game, I, I kind of forget. But Russell Westbrook being wide open, Malik Monk didn't even look towards Russell Westbrook's weight just because he's played so bad. His three-point percentage is now so unreliable that even his own teammates don't trust him to make that game-tying or go-ahead shot in the last few seconds. And I think that if you don't trust Russ, Anthony Davis is out. That puts way, way too much pressure on LeBron, who's 37 years old in year 19. And at that point, I know LeBron is like defies all statistical basketball things that we've seen in our lives, and he's playing amazing. But he's still he's still a human being and he needs help around him to really take this team to the next level we saw as good as he's played the Lakers still aren't winning and that's what I think is kind of stopping LeBron from being all the way up there in the MVP conversation no, I mean LeBron's played phenomenal I think that Frank Vogel has kind of unlocked something uh with LeBron which is playing him at the five you know uh I've been saying that AD needs to play the five but you know he is hurt so, you know, I appreciate Vogel trying something new and, you know, putting LeBron at the five because they are currently undefeated when he starts the center. Um, they have had a couple of shaky victories. I think that's just kind of been the, uh, the theme of the Lakers season this year is kind of squeaking by victories against very average to below average teams to terrible teams, um, you know, such as the Wolves and the Rockets, uh, just two, two examples uh, within this past week. And I think that if you can't put away these teams consistently at a dominant force like i know they're not fully healthy they don't have ad but still like, if you can't put them away with you know you're the the guy you traded for this season you're supposed to be your centerpiece russell westbrook um it's just very concerning for me and i think we've come to that we've kind of the, we've come to the notion that this lakers team is just very average i think their ceiling is possibly a four seed if lebron keeps playing like this which i don't know if his body can take it um playing that many minutes playing at the five um, you know, consistently just carrying this team like he's done throughout his career. But I just don't know, you know, 37 years old, year 19, can he defy father time once again and carry this Lakers team until at least AD comes back and maybe AD can get his shit together and just kind of be the second piece for the Lakers. Because if he's not like, like John said earlier, like I've been calling for this for so long, if he's not that guy, I don't think that the Lakers win. Um, but what is the ceiling for this Lakers team right now? I just want to ask you guys that because, they have been playing better, but I think it's mostly because of LeBron. Um, but I still think that those kind of shaky wins against these below average teams is just very concerning down the stretch. And we're coming near the halfway point now with the trade deadline and the all-star break, just about a, a little over a month away. I'm not going to lie to you. The ceiling looks like it is what it is right now, like the seventh seed. And I think that like that, that's, it's, it's no insult to the Lakers. It's just more 
of give credit where credit is due because I'm not going to undermine teams like the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, the Clippers, just because they don't have the namesake of, oh, the Los Angeles Lakers, you know? Like, yeah, they're not that team, but, but they're better. And that's the reality of it right now. And I don't see this Lakers team, you know, topping any of these teams down the stretch because keep in mind, Paul George should be back probably by the end of the month or early Feb by that point in time. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't think they're going to beat the Clippers the way they are even now. You know, it's really a 50-50 toss-up game. Then you have to take into account like teams like, you know, the Timberwolves, the Mavericks, even the Kings from time to time when they do match up against the Lakers, you can't guarantee a Lakers dub. That's the sad reality of it. Um, and, you know, if they start losing to those teams below then, because that's going to be a huge issue because they're, there's no way that I see this team beating the Warriors who are going to get Klay Thompson back. The Suns, who have really been that team all season long. They seem like they're really primed to kind of go out there and prove another finals run. The Utah Jazz, same, same kind of mindset. They've always been a great regular season team, and there's no way they really match up with Donovan Mitchell when they're allowing guys like John Moran to drop 40 on them. So the reality of the Lakers right now is that they are the seventh seed. I don't see them going any higher than the sixth seed right now. And I hate to say it, but I would be surprised to see the Lakers finish as a top five seed in the West this season because they really need to get things together. See, my problem is like they've had such an easy schedule the first, I'd say, third of the season. And now, you know, with the, the new year coming, the new year here now and the all-star break come out, their schedule is just going to keep getting harder. You know, they had that easy cushy schedule to start the season and they did not take advantage of it. You know, that's just the bottom line. And, you know, Sean, you're totally right in saying that there's just no reason to trust the Lakers at this point because they haven't been, they haven't shown that they can put away, you know, below average to terrible teams and they just haven't competed with the best of them. And with a tougher schedule coming up, you can't expect them to win that many games either. So I completely agree with you there. Yeah. I think I'm going to double down on what both of you said. I think they're, kind of ceiling maybe like a five six seed if they can really get their shit together but i think that they're gonna be a play-in team like they were last year and like rohan was just talking about they had a, they've had one of the easiest schedules in the league so far and now moving forward for the rest of the year they have the third hardest so that is really where most of the things worry me because they've played the easier teams we they lost twice to the okc thunder and i know sean was probably ecstatic about that but like the okc thunder or the okc thunder so losing twice and mind you that they did have anthony davis back then they had russ they had lebron and you lost to a rebuilding thunder squad so that's the things that just worry me yesterday night they actually played the minnesota timberwolves who didn't have dealer who didn't have um carl anthony towns and they squeaked out a win it, it came down to crunch time against a team without their two best players who's under 500 which is not a good look for a team that's trying you know perceivingly conceit um contending for a title at least before the season started and now the reality is looking completely different i would not be surprised if you know their ceiling um in the playoffs would be probably a first round exit i would be really really surprised if they even make it to the second round yeah no most certainly and i think that you know we're we're nearing this weird breaking point with the lakers where i think we got to start getting Rohan to say bubble frauds because Miami, he looked great, man. Miami looks great. I don't, I don't care what you say. Jimmy Butler looks great. They're fourth in the Eastern conference and clearly the Lakers. I know that they beat the Miami heat for the, for the finals trophy, but if anyone came out of that bubble looking like frauds, it's the Lakers. You know, now that you put yeah, it that way, honestly, the Lakers I mean, are in the seventh seed really two years is. in a row after that. Really so is because you can't argue these, they're not. 
all these other teams are literally in the playoff mix. And if anything, we're seeing other teams, you know, kind of come up there. So yeah, we, we got to be reminded of the heat getting swept in the playoffs last season, though. Yeah, it's fine. I, you know, it's fine. I, I think, I mean, they, they did get those acquisitions like Lowry, um, you know, in the off season, which I think have paid off and they're playing well without Bam out of bio. So credit where credit's due, but you're right. I mean, the Lakers have, like Josh said, they've been at the, around the seven seed mark for the last two seasons, ever since the bubble. At the end of the day, though, like a win's a win and a loss is a loss. Sure, the Miami Heat did get swept, but they both are first round exit teams. And I'm not gonna lie to you, like Miami definitely looks much better than than the Lakers. There's just no, there's no uh, debate over there. But you know, I think that's that's basically a good wrap up that we had for the most part in the both the East and the Western Conference, of course. And you know, Kyrie and Clay coming back. Um, definitely the highlight in both of those conferences in the coming days hopefully clay does come back sooner than later otherwise you know i'm all for the warriors if they wanted to delay clay's return just a little bit and we have a little bit more insight we can get one more pod in next week to talk just a little bit more about clay thompson um before his return but if no, not no 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 just bring him back if not yeah, we, then, we yeah, waited long not, enough if not then maybe next time next time we're talking we have at least two games from Kyrie that have been played and at least one game from clay that have been played that We'll have a better um, understanding of, you know, what they're going to bring back to their respective squads, even though the sample size would only be one or two games um, each. But yeah, I mean, that's all that we got for you guys today. Stay tuned for Matt, the fan was dot pod. Sean Chandan signing off with Yashoshi and Rohan Niranjan.